Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock, or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. For Lynette M. Gonzalez-Avila, a diagnosis as a teenager hit her like a ton of bricks, but she did not let it consume her, and her book title says it all. Not even self-doubt, insecurities, and T1 diabetes can hinder a flower that's meant to bloom. So when I started writing this book, I actually started it maybe a year after I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed at 15 with diabetes. So it was very traumatic for me because I mean at that age being told that your lifestyle has to change completely because of a diagnosis for me it was just like okay my world is coming to an end Um, I did not accept my condition for probably like three or four years later when I ended up in the ICU it was like a wake-up call because my mom was just like okay if this is not your wake-up call to end up just to like start making the necessary changes. This is where you're going to be in the future with a ton of medical problems. So from there on, I made the necessary changes. It's not really in my family. Like there's, there's no explanation as to why I got it. I was a teenager and I remember I had just turned 15. So I had my, the typical quinceanera party in March. And then a month later, I just drastically dropped a lot of weight. Like uh, I had some symptoms, which I found odd, like waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom constantly, the amount of water my body kept asking. Mm. And at the time, I also had like my period. So it was like a lot of, you know, as a teenager, you're just afraid to tell your mom that something is wrong. Right. So when it finally came up, I remember my mom called um, the clinic, and because it's an island, the Calabrese is like a tiny island with just a clinic. They do their services typically from like Monday to Friday. Okay. On the weekend, it's just if it's an emergency. So I remember my mom calling on a Friday, and she's like, hey, like Lynette is, she's had her period for a little over a week. She's just extremely... Um, tired. All she wants to do is sleep. Her stomach is upset. And they're like, oh, it, it might be that her hemoglobin levels are just low. So just give her a ton of grape juice, which the amount of sugar that that has is just insane. Mm. So, so for the entire weekend, my mom kept giving me grape juice because we thought it was just hemoglobin levels. During that Sunday night, it's just like it kept getting worse. So my mom's like, okay, no, tomorrow morning, we're going to the clinic. We have to get you checked out. So they did a simple blood test and I fainted. And then the nurse was like, let me just check your glucose levels just because it's protocol. And when the number came out, she's like, I think this machine is wrong. Let me go get another one. So it like tested like above 600 and it was right there. Like I remember I was just like extremely out of it. She's like, hey, like Lynette, it seems like you have diabetes. And I remember just laughing 
so much because for me, that was just like the silliest joke. But I ended up spending a full week at the children's hospital learning how to manage my new diagnosis. Whoa, in, in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico. You must have felt like this is so unfair. No, I, I kept like with the book, I think my mom, she was like one of the first people to read it. And she was just like, wow, like you, you hit a lot from us because one of the main things was I was questioning God. Uh, Why did God give me diabetes? And there was no explanation. Um, I was, I've always been super athletic. Um, my mom always does home cooked meals, like rarely any candy. Like I was healthy, but I still ended up with this. So it was a lot of years of with having that internal battle of the why, the why, the why until right. it wasn't that I moved here three years ago to the States for a great job opportunity that it was like, okay, like if I was able to move from Puerto Rico to the States by myself and with diabetes, like maybe this is what God's purpose was all along. Like God, like always my mom would tell me God only gives people battles that they can handle and you've shown that you can handle it. So that has always been my mindset, like, okay, like diabetes hasn't stopped me. I've, I've done things that normal, healthy people haven't done. Not everyone is willing to take that step and get out of the comfort zone of Puerto Rico and just start new in the States. Okay. And I did it on my own with no family in the area. <laughs> I did a lot of solo traveling as well. And it's the same thing. It's like people would always tell me, but you can't do anything by yourself because you have diabetes. And it's like, no, I can do everything by myself. It's just, you know, it requires planning, um, self-control and just, you know, being accountable that my decisions and my choices can affect my health. Right. Do you feel that people with similar diagnosis, young people are not as willing to take these uh, chances? I think it really has to do with your support system at home because I, my family, my mom and dad, I'm super blessed to have them because they've never put fear in me. They've never told me, oh, you can't do this. Otherwise, they've, they've, they've always the ones like, go for it. You have the potential. But I've seen other people my age and even younger that don't have such a drastic diagnosis as, as I do. Like they might um, have thyroid issues or like issues with their cholesterol or which can lead to a diabetes or, you know, other severe heart problems. And you see that their parents kind of put that fear in them. Like you can't do anything unless you're close to family. Mm. They use it as an excuse to keep them close. Exactly. How is your life different? Well, my first year I did injections, which I think a normal person would think, oh, you probably do one or two injections a day. No, I did probably six to eight injections a day just because my levels were just so out of control. Wow. Um, and then the testing, the finger um, prick testing, which is horrible, like 
that first year I would cry every single time I had to prick my finger because same thing, a normal person would think, oh, you'd probably just do that maybe four or five times a day. I'm like, no, like I used to do it sometimes 20 times a day. Like to the point where I remember going to school and being unable, unable to hold a pencil. And I remember just getting diagnosed and I told my mom and my dad, like, I want the insulin pump. It took me a year to get it just because my my doctor wanted to make sure that my levels were under control. Uh-huh. Um, currently, I'm on an insulin pump, which is awesome because it's yes, I'm I, I'm have robotic devices, as my nephews say. An insulin pump literally is an artificial pancreas that I have connected to my body. I change okay. I change the site every three to five days. But it's one injection, even though it's kind of on my skin every couple of days versus having multiple injections a day. Additionally, I have a Dexcom sensor, which is sensors came out, I know, maybe like 10 years or so. I have it on my bicep. Same thing. It's injected, but it stays on my skin, taped on for 10 days, and it monitors my blood glucose levels 24-7. When when you communicate with other people who have diabetes, is there a common thread? Are there common concerns? Are there things that happen to most people? Yes. <laughs> What's Oh, yeah. Do you talk about that in your book? I do. I do. Um, I talk a lot about it in my book, actually, and I've had two diabetics had that have read the book already and they're like oh my god Lynette like you understand what we feel I'm like of course I understand we're both in the same boat so are you able to get to your audience are you looking to get to kids that are diagnosed with this or anybody I have an Instagram account that is solely for my diabetes and I've connected with so many other diabetics on just that platform that it's amazing and Currently, I was able to connect with my first endocrinologist when I was first diagnosed, and she is part of the Pediatric Foundation of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And she actually texted me earlier today, and she's like, Lynette, like, I just got your book. Would you be okay if I present this at the foundation? I'm like, of course, because that's my goal. Like, I want other other kids, young kids, even young adults to kind of be inspired. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. Don't let diabetes or any diagnosis stop you. Are you going to keep writing? Yes. I have a couple of ideas, um, but I think at least for my goals for this year is to kind of start a blog okay, and kind of share more in depth on just like specific topics. And then just from there, just move forward and see what, what comes along. But writing is... It definitely, like, you know, it, it's, it was something that I needed to do, and it definitely fulfills how I'm able to just put my feelings and thoughts into paper. Yeah. Listen, what a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Working at a bookstore in Michigan is coming in handy for J.M. Freeman. She worked on her high school yearbook and found her writing stride again during the pandemic. And now we have Aiyah, book one. Tell me what you came up with. Um, I just kind of came to that. I was kind of thinking um, during the whole isolation process what it would be like to kind of live in an isolated place, not be able to go out and do things. 
Um, and I've always been a fan of like the tropical weather, wanting to visit like Hawaii and stuff like that. So it kind of morphed into this isolated island and then what it would be like to live on that. What'd you come up with? So that was the book called Aia. Does that name have any significance for you? So I looked up kind of like other islands. I'm a big fan of kind of wanting to travel and everything. And this was actually based off of a Greek mythical island that I had Google searched. Um, I didn't want it to be something well-known like Hawaii or, you know, something like that. I wanted it to be something that maybe people haven't really heard of. Um, that kind of goes with the book as it follows like kind of like a mystery base. Um, no one knows about this island, so it kind of fit perfect to pick a island that really no one knew about. Um, it follows kind of a young teenager, her and her brother and a couple of her friends. All they've ever known is the island and what people have told her on the island. She kind of wants to know what else is out there. Um, they do have a thing where if you get into a fight on the island, within 24 hours, an earthquake happens. And that's just all they've ever known. Well, suddenly it starts to click that this can't just happen out of coincidence. Like someone has to be behind this, why this is happening. Um, and she just keeps told her whole life, like, stop looking for answers that we can't explain. And so it kind of follows her journey of trying to get off the island, um, try to find those answers and figures out that people that are somewhat close around her aren't really what she thought they were going to be. And she kind of goes against all of them and trying to figure out what she should do next. So she's very isolated as is. Um, their parents ended up dying when they were younger. And so they have this family friend that had been close with them growing up and that's the other character named Axton who comes into play. Um, he has a sister Zara so they kind of grow up in that household with them and his mom and dad both Tyler and Marissa in the book they kind of rule the island although there's no official governing system they kind of just stepped up to the place, plate to kind of start ruling over that and through that she doesn't agree with his rule and how he does things because he's very protective and wants to take on that role where she believes that we're one body. Let's like do this and figure this out together. And he ends up becoming the biggest enemy amongst in the book that she kind of finds out that he's lying and he knows people outside of AEA and he's bringing them in and the book kind of follows where she initially starts the fight and it's the first fight that she's ever brought on and he's always been looking out for her and she's been that trouble child in his mind what's what's he doing that's so offensive so he holds these town hall meetings whenever a fight breaks out and he puts um that individual pretty much in front of everyone else in the town and has them um, labeled the outcast and pretty much deems them that you're the reason that this destruction is brought upon our land. And in this one, he actually takes her and they have this underground cell that they put them in. And people that in the past have done this and they can't figure out what happened to them, he's actually killing them. <laughs> <gasps> so she actually uncovers that because he tries to drown her. Oh. Um, yeah, so she kind of uncovers that these people are going missing because it's at the your hand of what you're doing so is she now running from him like she's yes. on to him yep yeah and axton which is tyler's son actually follows his father and he ends up finding her so he kind of comes to the rescue um everyone's kind of known him as the town hero because he's always looking out trying to make sure everyone are doing what they're supposed to do and now he sees this evil side of his dad that he didn't know was there so 
he kind of helps her to try and run and escape from her or from him. Does anybody ever get get off the island ever? Does anybody visit the island ever? They do. Um, so he actually brought in this guy named Ernest. Um, he's from the central zone. So Tyler and Ernest, it's the first person that's ever been brought from what I call the central zone, which is off AEA. And so it's a big shock to the community seeing someone else come in that they had no idea even existed out there. And so it actually towards the middle of the book is like their whole journey of getting off AEA, finding the central zone, realizing it is there. And then that's kind of where book two more takes off because book two is actually titled the central zone. So that's going to be like their journey actually on the central zone. How many books do you have in the series? So I have three planned for this one. Three planned, but two done? Yes, I have two done. Two is not yet published, but it's in the editing phase right now, so. Yeah, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people found time to write. I could do like a whole series on books written during the pandemic. That would be right. the name of the series, right? <laughs> Suddenly people got inspired or like you, you know, they wrote when they were younger and they were like, oh, let, let me rediscover this. I loved this. I want to do it again. And then the pandemic's over and you're in the middle of your series. Like what happens now? Is it more I, difficult? I, um, it is definitely harder. Um, I think it makes it easy working at a bookstore even for the first book release, they were the first ones that let me do an open book signing here. Um, so kind of having my foot already kind of in the door makes it a little bit easier. Um, I make it pretty much as soon as I'm done with work, I go home and try and spend at least an hour writing every single day just to make sure I'm keeping the ball rolling on that. Mm. Is that difficult? Very difficult. Um, my mom has actually been helping me a lot with, she kind of is like my initial edit. She reads through everything. Um, so she's been help a big help keeping me on track and being like, hey, like I'm done with these pages. I need more. So we try to have a goal of how many pages to get her to in a week. So that kind of really helps. That's great. So you have, you yeah. know, you have a built-in editor there helping you out. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Now, now, are you recently graduated from high school or college or? Um, I graduated high school in 2017. Oh, and then oh, I, I only did like two years. Yeah. So I just actually today's my birthday. So I just turned 25 today. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And so this is your journey. You want to be a writer. Yep. Yeah. I've always wanted to and I put it on the back burner. But then when you're surrounded by all these books and you start seeing titles come across and ideas come to mind and you're like, I should really start getting into that again. Well, and here you are. Right. <laughs> You're so lucky you work in a bookstore. People would, I don't are, know. people, other authors are going to hear that and go, oh, you know, because right. the hardest part, everybody will tell you, is not writing the book. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah. Promoting it, getting it out there, getting people to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of got a leg up there. So good for you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Christy Weaver used to think about writing a book when she was stuck in traffic, but inspiration eluded her until she got an idea from the mouths of babes for her book. What did you call me? When I was commuting before, um, I was driving about an hour to my job and I would sit there in traffic and I was like, you know, if I had to write a book, I would call it my life in first gear because <laughs> I was always in traffic sitting there and then waiting for stuff to happen. And I could never write a book. I would sit down and say, okay, what, what do I need to do? How am I going to write this novel? What am I going to do? And nothing would ever come. 
And then one day my husband and I were just sitting there and we were kind of reminiscing because we have teenagers now who don't really like parents. You know, they don't like their mom and dad anymore. So we were reminiscing of times when they were little and they loved us. And we were talking about my youngest daughter who has really just been a spitfire from the time she was little. And when she was younger, when she would get mad at you, she would call you a Baba head. That was the ultimate insult that she could come up with. And she would throw her hand on her hip and give you all the sass that she could muster. And she would say, Baba head. And so we were just, we were just thinking, you know, there has to be other nicknames that other kids have just made up that are, you know, the ultimate insult from their perspective, but not an insult at all. And so I reached out to this group I belong to and just asked a bunch of people for these names that their kids have come up with. And I think I got, I think I want to say 30 names ish. And I just sat down one day and I wrote this book in two hours. It just came to me. Everything came, everything flowed, everything came. And so I wrote it in two hours and then it sat there. And it sat there because I was very insecure about putting something I had created out into the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do it. I, you know, what I, I think I was worried about people judging me about it. You know, there's a lot of what people call the imposter syndrome when you're trying to do anything new. Yes. You sit there and you try to you know, these voices tell you, you can't do this. You're going to fail. It's not going to work out all these things. And it just got to the point where I was like, okay, I have this really great idea of a manuscript that I think is fabulous. I think it's very unique. I don't think anyone else has done anything like this. So I finally just was like, I need to just do something. So I took it and I went to Fiverr which is a website where you can utilize freelance people. And I went to Fiverr Fiverr and got an illustrator. And I worked with an illustrator for about six months as we walked through, you know, the types of illustrations I wanted to do and what she could do and then got the cover pages put together and the title page and all that stuff. So it took about six months to get the everything put together. And then here comes the imposter syndrome again. And it sat for another year. (laughs) Because I just could not get up the courage to figure out what to do with it next. Because publishing is very overwhelming for someone who has no idea what they're doing. Right. So I think I was just mindlessly scrolling through Instagram one day, you know, using my time really well. And I came across, it was Fulton Books is my publisher. And I came across inquests that they had out asking for manuscripts for people. They were like, well, let's just look at your manuscript, see if we can put it together. And they loved the manuscript. They signed me up and I started working with them. Tell me how you lay it out. So I have a, an introduction of what the book is on the first two pages, I think. And it's, it's all written lyrically. So it rhymes. And that was kind of what was fun about this whole process is sitting there with these names that these kids had created is saying, okay, how can I make these rhyme and flow together? (laughs) And so the first two pages are just an explanation really of what it is. And then it gets into the names and they're just so funny. I mean, one, I think my favorite name in the book is a name that someone came up with called a toilet goalie. 
Like that's what he would call someone. A toilet, a toilet goalie. goalie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, there it's like uh, Buffalo. I think the first line is, or one of the first lines is you're a Buffalo boodoo, you old chicken soup. You know? <laughs> so it's just very funny it, because kids are so clever. And that's what made me super excited first about how quickly I was able to write it, but also you know, doing this again and having a sequel for the book, uh, if it is ever successful. <laughs> so well, that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm talking to people who say that they help you with a Facebook page and setting up your social media. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never written a book, but um, yeah, I do know that if your book is good, yes. if, if you've got a story that's fun, that's funny, that's interesting... Or it's just like an unbelievable story, like, oh, my God, are you yeah. kidding me? This didn't really happen, did it? Yeah, it did. Um, yeah. That people start where they are. Yes. And and they yeah. have a book signing. And, I mean, in your your case, I mean, is it a children's book? Would you call this a children's book? So I think it's a – I would consider it a children's book geared for adults because it – entertains both young and older people you know adults were the ones responsible for reading to the kids right and I think it's enjoyable for those of us who are responsible for actually doing the reading to the kids but I also know that kids love it as well so it's hard to put a specific classification I think it's considered a a kid's book on Amazon right now for like ages five to nine or something like that but I think it's good for all ages, in my opinion. Okay. So we don't really follow a character through your book? No. No, it's not one character. It's a bunch of different characters, and there are are illustrations that were created based off of the names that kids would come up with. So you got a picture of the toilet goalie. Yes, I do have a picture of the toilet goalie, actually. (laughs) What what are some of the other names? What are are the ones that you really liked? Honestly, all of them are so funny, but... Uh, it's like you're a buffalo voodoo, you old chicken soup. So it's a buffalo carrying a can of chicken or a pot of chicken soup with flies <laughs> on it. And then doughboys and oof faces, you big pile of poop. <laughs> so it's just, you know, um, one of the other ones is uh, you chicken nugget old buckle. Fine. I'm not sleeping in your bed. Like that was an insult that a kid had said is like, oh, fine, I'm not going to sleep in your bed with you, you know, and anyone who's had kids sleeping in beds with them, that is not an insult at all. No, so, no. <laughs> yeah. And it goes like football head, sock head, potato head too, poopy noopy pile of snow and finally dude. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, these kids are just so funny with the, the names that they come up and it, they all flowed so well with, all of them. What a fun activity to do at summer camp. Yeah. You whip out this book and, and talk about the different names that you've given people in your family and why. And yeah, this could be a really fun book to have around, you know? I think so. I think it's awesome. Yeah, well, (laughs) of course you do. (laughs) I mean, your kids are now teenagers. So I, I, do you want to go into schools and read it? I mean, how do you see this playing out? I would love to go into schools. I would love to go into libraries and do book readings and signings. I actually dropped two of the pre-production copies I got off to the local library. Um, I, I have not been back to see if they accepted them or not. But, you know, I'm definitely open to any sort of way to promote it and 
you know, let people know about it because I think when people read it, they'll really like it. Well, follow up with those schools and libraries and see what happens. You never know. Listen, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thank you so much. Rusty Fender is on a mission with his book series entitled The Adventures of Larry the Lizard and Friends, The Search for the Golden Monkey Mask. Now, you work with the Closer Walk Homeless Ministry in Salinas, California, and you say you know with this series you are on the right track. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to get rid of the homeless and make homeless illegal, like a crime. Governor Gavin Newsom just signed a, a document stating that is doing more sweeps, arresting people that are, you know, on the city streets. And the police are pushing all the homeless to the federal land of the railroad tracks where the gangs are killing people. And I want to make millions off this book series and the adapted uh mobile study group video game that i have uh, being developed for this for this book series so that i can take that money and buy these buildings in chinatown and do the process god gave me in prison he told me right larry the lizard because this was a story i used to tell my kids over the phone just a bedtime story and when i got out of the gangs 17 years ago and i broke down and asked god what he wanted me to do and he gave me this elaborate plan that was just a cross-country prisoners and homeless uh, advocates and, and programs that can fix the homelessness and the recidivism problem. And I said, what do I do? He said, write Larry the Lizard. And I wrote 10 books of that series. And then I wrote a, another series called The Blessed Adventures of Jonah and Caleb, which teaches kids how to deal with liars bullies and thieves to the guiding of the holy spirit and that'll come out hopefully uh this year and i know i'm in college at grand canyon university uh with a 3.7 gpa to be a drug addiction counselor um but hasbro was talking to me in 2019 when i was in avidal state prison wanting to buy this idea off me but they were doing background check to make sure if i was not like plagiarizing and making sure it was an original idea and all this other stuff and and then they came back to me and he, he said that they, that they could they could possibly syndicate it like spongebob those were the words uh and i can see it i can see if you look at the book if you look at the characters that i've developed myself it could, you could be you can see it as a cartoon you can see it as stuffed animals backpacks you know, I have the creativity to develop it any way possible. So so tell me the story. Well, Larry the Lizard and Friends is a 10-book interactive Christian treasure hunting series where in the first book, Larry the Lizard, Sam the Salamander, and Teddy the Turtle actually find a clue on a trip for the Diamond Lion amulet. Why do they want to find the Diamond Lion amulet? Like, what's the big deal? They're, they were all just friends from school. They were on a school trip on this big boat. And um, then they ended up getting tossed overboard during a storm and ended up getting stranded on Mad Mikey Island, the island that actually they were looking for. And then the story goes on from there where, you know, they find out that the monkeys are mad because there's no bananas on the island no more. And they're thinking that their god is this eagle god of... You know, like a plane, basically, because of the stuff that got dropped out of a plane. And in my head, this is where the background, this is not like written stuff that's in the book. But you'll you'll see that when they tell King Benjamin they're about to make him walk over hot coals uh, for to please the God to get more bananas. Well, 
they teach King Benjamin to cut the banana plants down to two and a half feet, which is agriculturally true, and then their banana plants will regrow. Well, at that time, it makes King Benjamin happy. They give him the golden monkey mask because that's the first clue for the journey to the Diamond Lion Medallion or Amulet. And so then inside the, the monkey mask is an actual word jumble that is in the book. And um, you, the reader, becomes a junior adventurer along the way. Like literally, you know, in the beginning of the book, it is the reader looking, Larry talking, Larry the Lizard talking to the reader, you know, asking him if they want to come on this adventure with Sam and Teddy in the background looking at a map. And Larry gets the readers to agree to three rules. Always be nice to all adventurers and members of this world. Always be helpful and go on every adventure so you can learn as much as our, as our friends. When they meet Larry, Teddy, and Sam, Teddy the Turtle and Sam the Salamander, they actually are able to write their name into the book. I've left a spot where, you know, Larry's like, hey, Sam, Teddy, I want you, you two to meet our new junior adventurer. Let's say Grayson. My son's name is Grayson. So we put Grayson's name in there. They have committed to search for the Diamond Line Amulet. Okay, Junior Adventure Grayson, this is Sam and Teddy. So after meeting them, there's a storm that comes about. And the Junior Adventure helps them get into the life raft. And they're like, oh my goodness, dear God, help us help us get to safety. And Larry says, calm down, everyone. You know that God has our back. So I'm, I splash God in there in the beginning um, from the get. And this is kind of a spoiler alert, but they actually find the armor of God along the way. Uh, through different circumstances, they find the, the, the shield of faith because they had faith during the storm. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and, and part of what I want to develop in, the, in the, the video game would be, you know, we have parental codes. I put it in and you put it in and another person puts it in. So our, our children play with these characters on the island and they're searching for treasures but when they find the treasure they all have to talk and come to the same vicinity for a problem from their syllabus from the age group that they are at comes above the treasure chest like three times nine they have to work together to enter the information to go on to the next level it's a mobile study group there's nothing out there like it hmm. so then when larry and um, sam and teddy they when they get captured by king benjamin uh, and the monkeys man on the on the island they basically go and they, they they basically are explaining their god versus the monkey's god and trying to say that no our god tells us that if we regrow this plant by cutting it down you'll have you'll have the bananas and then there's you know it goes to them getting the golden monkey mask which they need the monkey's not being mad and then them utilizing the island because the monkeys give them an old boat that was left there and they're going to be utilizing this island um, as like a center point to come back and re restock and then they go on the next adventure and come back so it's kind of like they're, they're going to be converting the monkeys into christianity and then once they get the word jumble and the equipment the parents help the child figure out ruby rabbit and then they go on to the next adventure, which is um, the adventures of Larry the Lizard and friends and search for the missing ruby rabbit, which happens in Australia. And then you meet up in the koala bear and all that stuff. It just it, This is an introduction book, you know, and then it just expands from there. 
Um, okay. And and you seem to feel like this is a mission that you have been absolutely. assigned. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I have had the finances, I, I've gone down to Monterey, the wharf in Monterey Bay, and sell them. I, I, I personalize them to the kid and autograph them and sell them down there. Um, Snow Tree Media is setting up all my social media platforms for Larry the Lizard, Instagram, uh, YouTube page. There's already a Zoom interview that I've done for the YouTube channel. So it's been great. 17 years of telling everybody that this is going to happen and then it happens. That that gives me confidence that what God is telling me to do with my life is, is right there. And I have uh, teachers, retired teachers that uh, volunteer for the ministry here that um, have purchased the book and are bringing it in into the schools. Great. It just, it just sounds to me, if you stay focused, you're going to be yeah. okay. Oh yeah. I'm focused. Yeah. yeah I'm stay focused, focused on the book series. Stay oh, focused yeah. on finding somebody to do your, your video and you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just uh, want to add in there, you know, that my wife is, is, has been the main, main pushing goal outside of God that has influenced me to continue this Good. and to make sure that, uh, you know, we keep this in the forefront. Anyway. So, well, God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.